Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the Making Madden podcast. I'm Tom Lischke, franchise producer, and with me, as always, is Andre Weingarten, franchise designer. Today, we are branching off from solely talking about franchise. Joining us today is gameplay producer Clint Oldenburg to go over all the changes to gameplay in Madden 22, along with dynamic game day and home field advantage. Welcome aboard, all Clint. All of the changes, not just some of them, Clint. You, you What's, got, up, you about today. What's up, my friend? <laughs> How are you doing? Doing well. How about you on this lovely day, which I can't say exactly because rules. <laughs> yeah. Come to you live from stormy Orlando. We're hoping our internet and power holds up here today. So always yeah. concerned in the afternoons here, the daily storms. Yep. It's, rolling th- it's definitely rolling through. So absolutely. So why don't we start with dynamic game day? I think a lot of people have been clamoring for more information about that. So What is it first, and how does it impact gameplay as a whole? So what it is overall is our attempt at making crowds, stadiums, environments more alive in Madden. A lot of players who we've talked to over the years, they desire a stronger connection to their favorite team and their fandom. And so this is what we wanted to do. So it's really made up of three primary components that will go into every mode in Madden. There's game day momentum, there's star-driven AI, and there's game day atmosphere. And those three things... They all contribute to the dynamic game day story, but our intent is to make every game feel unique, make every game feel fresh, and make the environment as big a part of gameplay as the players are. Okay, nice. Yeah, we've been talking about that in the podcast so far. From a franchise perspective, one of the goals for this year is make every week feel unique. And part of that is giving life to the opponent for the upcoming week, sharing the the big players you're going to be taking on and making that part of the decision process. The environment where you play as well, the stadium, et cetera, is a, a huge part of that, clearly. And I know that the gameplay side of it is a big deal and what we're part of what we're really counting on in the franchise side. So, uh, uh, Absolutely. I mean, franchise is as strong as the gameplay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, no matter what we do in terms of team building, it's gameplay that is going to be the most memorable part of your experience because it's how everything that you've built plays out. So I'm really excited for dynamic game day. But that leads me to this question. So, Clint, you played in the NFL. Is home field advantage and momentum really a thing in the NFL? Like from your experience, do you really believe that this is something that occurs? Yes, I do. That's a good question. And it was a a similar question that I got when we did media interviews upon our reveal. And even internally, a lot of teammates asked me, like, you guys keep talking about momentum and home field advantage. Is that really a thing in pro football? Yes, it's a thing in pro football. From my experience, I want to give two examples. One goes all the way back to when I played in college and then one in the NFL. It'll be really quick. Let's go back to college first. So I I played at Colorado State, a mid-major in Fort Collins, Colorado. And my first year as a starter, our second game of the season was at USC. And when we walked into that stadium in Los Angeles, you know, most of us from Colorado, Wyoming, you know, mountain states, we had never seen that many people in one building. And it was incredibly loud and red and yellow everywhere. You could feel it. It felt like the fans were on top of you. So that was kind of my first exposure to what a home field advantage was. And then once I played professionally, now this example comes from a preseason game, not even a regular season or playoff game. We played in Seattle. I was with the Broncos. We had a preseason game in Seattle. And I remember feeling like I couldn't hear anything at the line of scrimmage. The only thing I could look at was the ball. 
that's the only thing I could pay attention to because that's how I knew when to start moving. And so I couldn't focus on the defender I was supposed to block. I couldn't hear what the quarterback was saying. All I could do was look at the ball. And that was my focus until the ball moved. And that definitely impacts you know how you play. So I would say, yes, those are real things. That's so, crazy. <laughs> yeah. To me, one of the challenging things about it, like, uh, so Seattle, that one kind of writes itself a little bit in terms of what makes it difficult to play there, et cetera. Like from a design perspective, was it a challenge to really get differentiation between the 32 different environments? How many unique things are there around the different fields? Yeah. So as we're speaking about home field advantage specifically, that is one of the M factors that will show up in the momentum meter when we're talking about dynamic or excuse me, game day momentum. The home field advantage is a third M factor that the home team gets when defending their own home field. And to your question, Tom, it was a lot of study. What we try to do is pay off each team's unique history and fan base. And in some cases, it doesn't really exist, right? Because teams just moved like the Chargers just moved, the Raiders just moved. And so the black hole is a little bit easier to replicate to some degree. But what we try to do is study And so some examples of that, like you said, Seattle kind of writes itself, but like Cincinnati, one of their most famous coaches, Sam Weish, is known as the inventor of the no huddle offense. And so to pay that off, their home field advantage is you get less clock runoff when using hurry up, when you have momentum. So things like that is is really what we tried to do with our home field advantages. And we hope that the fans of those teams really appreciate that level of depth. What's your favorite? home field advantage modifier because with all the amount of time that you guys spend studying all this stuff, I'm sure you have to have one. I have one, but I have a feeling it might be one of the more polarizing ones among our players. (laughs) I'm going to just refer to it as the turf monster right now, but it's actually called unstable ground at the moment. And that was developed primarily for Washington. (laughs) Washington's field is known as being just historically a really bad surface to play on. Oh no. (laughs) And so so this home field advantage will modify your change of direction rating when playing on, on unstable turf. So you took something that, I mean, in the past it might've manifested as injuries or stuff like that. And you, but it's more than that, right? Like you you found the gameplay element that we could bring for where, where we are right now. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, what it does is just tune. It's a different tuning for, like, turn rates. And what that yeah. means for players is, like, how agile you are. And our target isn't to make these things so powerful that you feel like you have to have one over another to, like, be competitive in a game. To use a term you've used a lot in the past, Tom, it's like just throwing some logs in your path that you have to overcome additionally to the gameplay and that's what this is it's not going to be so powerful you think your players can't move but it it will be enough that you notice playing on turf that's a little bit different yeah you think the goal would be to have something that if it's you're going to be playing there eight or nine games a year plus the playoffs it'd be something you could get a roster that takes some advantage of and then if i'm traveling there it's something that i got a game plan about around maybe make some decisions in terms of what i value and how how I plan that week, knowing that that's going to be a factor in the game. That's that goes back to that making each week feel different, right? Making each yeah. game day special. So and and maybe even call plays a little bit differently. You know, we got a guy Mole. You guys all know Mole. He likes to cut back in the run game. If you rely on the cut back, you may not be able to cut back as efficiently on that turf. So you may have to call some different plays. Okay, so Mole will not be taking the Washington football team as in the franchise league, right? We we would think that because it wouldn't yeah. match his play style. 
Well, but that's good. I like that because that's a decision he'll make or maybe he'll have to re- relocate if he does or something like that, right? So That's unfortunate. That's the team that I'm probably going to be using for my 32-man league. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> but like now you know. Yeah, yep, but yep, I like yep, to but... cut back, so that's unfortunate. But well, <laughs> I, I, Andre, I don't, think, I don't think you need any other particular advantages in your 32-man league. I'm not worrying about you, frankly, honestly. Cool. <laughs> it's an interesting decision to me. Authenticity versus what feels good when you're playing Madden, right? We'll always go and be as authentic as we can. Also keeping in mind, it's got to be a fun video game. And so then if there's a team that maybe not currently doesn't have the strongest home field advantage or whatnot, we got to go make a fun game experience for the fans of that franchise as well. But grounded in authenticity. So I like that story about Sam Weishin in the hurry up as well. So, yep. That's very cool. So why don't we move on to the next portion and talk about what under the radar area of the game do you think made the most significant improvements in terms of gameplay this year? That's a good question. I really want to talk about a few things. We didn't even touch on the star-driven AI portion of Dynamic Game Day. I'll just quickly hit that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I truly believe we're delivering a step change in AI behavior. And so when you're playing offline against AI opponents, that is now a much more rich experience. And even lately when I've been playing, I'm losing games or falling behind early in games. And I can't remember the last time that's happened against the AI. So it just makes it a more strategic and more deep experience. So I'm really excited about our AI story. In terms of core gameplay, I think the thing that people will notice the longer they play is our improvements to tackling. We've done a lot of great things in tackling to give players more control, more intelligent and contextual outcomes, more animation variety. And really, it's been kind of one of the highlights of our development cycle is just the strides we made in tackling. You know, some examples of this, right? We have sideline tackles that are completely different animations relative to the part of the field you're on. We have early state hurdle tackles, which is a place where before we didn't have coverage for us, you saw some awkward physics interactions if you made contact very early in a hurdle. We have touch player down tackles, which is for us, you know, traditionally been a pain point where a guy will fall on the ground and nobody's aware he's on the ground. So we'll just run over him or run through him to blow the whistle. And now we're smart enough to actually like stop, put our hands on the player's and even in some cases, he'll get back up and he'll get pushed back down. And that just makes our game look smarter and more authentic. And so I'm really excited about tackling. Does it make it easier, harder to tackle, or is it just more authentic looking? Where's the it's, value? It's certainly more authentic looking across the board. Easier or harder is, is a hard thing to say. I think what we've made, there's definitely some strategy there and some skill gap because we have all of our tackle mechanics that we've had over the years. We still have our conservative wrap-up tackle We have our dive tackle, our hit stick, and our cut stick. If you use those at the proper times, I think you're going to feel more control and responsiveness in tackling, and you're also going to see the right animation response relative to momentum, which is another big thing we did. But there's a lot of risk in using those mechanics too. So we've done a tuning pass on hit stick to make sure guys like Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook are going to break more hit sticks because you're hitting them up, up high. And then if you want to take their legs out with a cut stick, we've done some stuff to make hurdles a thing. Dive tackles are very easy to miss if you mistime it. And then the dive tackles from behind, which have been a common pain point for players, is like they're too suctioning or, or match too much. We even have new broken tackles in for that. So when you're playing against the AI, they might break one of those dive tackles from behind that, that'll spring them for a touchdown. So I think there's a nice strategy with all those mechanics. Would you say that it's easier to tackle than it was in 21 Gen 4? 
because I know with the difference in locomotion that, you know, guys aren't moving as quickly now on next gen. Would you say that that's something that's occurring or is that? I would call it more user friendly. It's hard to describe without a controller in your hands, but it feels more intuitive. Mm -hmm. And some of that's visually because you're getting the outcome you expect. And then some of that is the improvements that we've made to tackling control. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. Can I hop back to AI for a second? I know that's a thing we've talked about an awful lot. If I'm playing versus CPU and I want to get the best version of the away team or the opponent AI experience, is there, I know uh, there's been some talk about maybe different difficulty settings. I think the way way I've heard it described is if you tune the difficulty a little bit lower to make it a little bit easier, I want to have more power in my hands. You might get a little bit less of the opponent AI experience, right? That maybe starts to hit a little harder as the difficulty goes up. Yeah, I think that's accurate. So if I were to give a recommendation, I think the best representation of authentic AI is going to be on all pro to, you know, at least to start the year. And what you said, while all the tendency stuff we're driving through next gen stats and all the foundational AI stuff that we build are still there on rookie and pro because you have a little bit more power in your hands, you, you're going to put those teams behind the eight ball more. And so they're going to get out of their play style. One of the, the things that I really loved about AI and they were one of our test cases was the Ravens. Cause obviously everyone knows the Ravens love to run the ball and they need to play in a close game or with the lead. And they're going to run a lot of pistol. They're going to run a lot of option and they're going to just run it down your throat all day. And if you play the Ravens right now, starting the game, that's how they feel like in Madden. And so you're going to see that on all pro and it's going to be a challenge to get them out of their run game. And to Tom's question, if you play them on pro, let's say on the first drive, you tackle Lamar for a loss on read option on play one, they try to get some yards back to get ahead of the sticks on play two and you get a sack and then they punt, you go down and score. Now they're behind and they're going to be less likely to stick to that run game, you know, even early in the game because they got to try to stay close. So that's kind of what I mean by all pros going to be the best representation of the AI challenge that we're talking about. So part of it's just because they have to stay in the game to stay in their game plan. So if you can get ahead of them due to lower difficulty setting, that also will just knock them out of their natural preferred game state too. Hey, Makes Yeah, sense. exactly. And, and they, we still have play calling tendencies. So the Ravens passing plays are going to be authentic to what they do on third and long and stuff, but you're not going to get that Ravens run game feeling if they're playing from behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And just to interject, because I know the Ravens are a hot button topic in the sim community as well, simulation that we've done a lot of tuning in Super Sim, and you're going to see Lamar Jackson a lot higher on the simulation statistics in terms of rushing. Just to interject, I know we use Lamar as a good example because he is probably the most unique, polarizing type player because of his skill set in the game right now. And I know that that's been a, a hurdle for us as well on the franchise side. So it seems like yeah. both, both sides of that coin are, are hitting on it. Hopefully they both work together to really make that a stronger, more authentic experience. I hadn't watched the Ravens very much for a couple of years, and I saw them play last year. And I think saw the Titans play a little bit too. And they, when I saw them both, they reminded me of each other just – how they lean so specifically in in that direction. And if they get knocked off their groove, it's tough for them to play a different way. I've been used to watching so much of the Packers and they kind of flex all over the place. And, and a different week, they'll be a different thing, but that's, that's not the way the Ravens and the Titans go. They, they want to do one thing and do it really well, right? 
So yep. yeah, when you see a team struggle in the run game, it it very much can cripple them as a team. Yeah. Uh, especially a team like the Ravens who didn't have the time to install complex passing plays on top of their run game. So they didn't have a fallback. Yeah. Sure. If I could give one piece of advice to our listeners today, I would say definitely when you're playing against the AI this year, you know, buckle your chin strap. It's not going to be kind of what you've come accustomed to where you you know the sets of plays you have to run to get a big lead and you can kind of coast through the game and get your stats up. Just a few days ago, I was playing the Cowboys and Zeke Elliott was just running all over me, trucking me, stiff arm me. They were throwing and passing out of the backfield. And I look up midway second quarter, I'm down 17 nothing, And I got to make a tremendous comeback to finally beat the Cowboys. Uh, that was a great experience. <laughs> did, did, did you do it? Did you pull it off? I did. I ended up winning 24-17. I blanked them in the second half, but I did have to change my play style because they were just running Zeke down my throat the entire first half. And so I had to start taking away the run game and daring them to beat me deep. And I was lucky enough to get some interceptions. With a halftime adjustment? I did. Yeah, I did change my halftime game plan. I switched to inside run. I said, all right, my D-line, you guys got to take care of the inside run. My user at linebacker, I'll try to defend the outside run and uh, get involved in the pass game. And uh, it paid off for me. But it's a challenging and, and a deep experience for sure. Shout out to Weekly Strategy. <laughs> so transitioning a little bit. What part of gameplay do you think has given you the most trouble in terms of tuning and changes? I'm sure there's a lot of challenges trying to to manage with all of the new AI, with the NGS technology and all of that. Yeah, I think for us, and it probably is relatively the same in real life football, but pass coverage is something that is incredibly difficult to balance and incredibly difficult to build in error, if you know what I mean. So. Mm-hmm. And it really depends on the type of player. Every player kind of wants a little something a little bit different out of coverage. And you want a game that, you know, there's enough windows where you can pass the ball and have fun, but you don't want a game that's so easy to pass that you don't have to do anything else. Coverage has gotten so complex in the NFL over the years, and we try to replicate that to the best of our ability. But even some of us, you know, if you told me to recite all the different checks and rules that a, that a cover three is supposed to do against trips or doubles, I couldn't. And so we have a lot of that logic in our game. And so it's really hard for even me to have an expectation of what a certain coverage should do here and there. So I'd say coverage is always a super big challenge. But on that note, we have done a lot of work this year to to fix specifically feedback from our players, things that they saw in coverage that they didn't like or wanted improved. We did a deep dive into the most used passing plays from Madden 21 and really focused a lot of energy on cleaning up coverage against those passing plays to make it a more balanced game. That was our primary goal is let's give both sides a little bit of balance here and, and make it deeper. How much effort do you have to put in? That strikes me, you know, not, not having worked on the gameplay side specifically, building a fun game experience where basically it's the way I think of it when I'm on offense is I'm taking on the puzzle of the defense. And I know the defense has to not be psychic and not like be jumping as soon as I throw the ball or before I throw the ball, you know, just on a pure numbers game. At most, you have five eligible guys out in the pattern, and there's more people than that covering them. So to build a game where you're not just instantly taking away all five people with the seven or eight people that are back in coverage, is that strikes me as one of the more interesting and difficult things to just nail that balance of a fun puzzle for the offense. And then you bring into the fact that you have 10 guys usually controlled by the AI and then one user running around doing, you know, and, and we talk about it, like the user has to feel a little bit 
like a superhero in some levels. And so getting that right, like how much does the user get to do a little bit more because they are a user? And that's a very video game portion that you guys have to contend with over on the gameplay side, right? There's a question hidden in there somewhere, I guess, or you can just... uh, no, no, you're absolutely right. Like you throw a user into the mix and a user is going to most of the time lurk or find a specific route he wants to leverage that may take him out of that coverage scheme that you called. And in some cases, your AI teammates are aware of what you're doing. And so you may not know it. You may, In some cases, you're making your coverage a lot better. And in some cases, you're making your coverage a lot worse because the AI, you're causing the AI to do some things differently because they see you doing something differently that they don't expect. So there's risk and reward there, but just accounting for all the different situations just comes from we have to play a lot of games and we have to try a lot of different things and uh, just continue dialing it in. It's something that I don't think is ever going to be done. Yeah, there's no such thing as done in that just because the legal change and the kind of coverages that the NFL staffs will come up with will change and we'll have to incorporate that and have it work into the system in general, right? So that's always been like of anything on the whole team that I find interesting and a challenge and and something that just scares me is like if i had to be the person or on the team that was responsible for coverage boy, what a challenge <laughs> but what a challenge that is to have that be a great video game experience so oh, yeah so going from coverage let's go to the trenches this is your domain so talk a little bit about blocking anything cool coming here in the blocking world i want to throw out there because maybe not everybody who's tuning in knows clint's history I mean, we referenced it a little bit earlier, but, uh, you know, Clint, you like not to make you kind of tell your own story here, but what, why is blocking your area? Yeah, good question. So I'm a former player. I played in the NFL for five years. Now, as Twitter would like to point out to me, I wasn't a very good player. Unfortunately, I'm a better video game developer. Uh, but I was bringing an NFL lineman, offensive lineman in the NFL. I played uh, offensive line in college. So I have some experience with blocking and it's one of those things that just like in real life in Madden, the only time anyone kind of takes note of it is when it goes wrong. And I enjoy that. I enjoy that pressure. I, I like solving those problems. And so I've, I've owned that since I've been on Madden for nine years. Relative to this year, what we did a lot of work primarily on the animation side. I'll quickly mention some of the bigger beats, which everyone can read about in our deep dives and stuff. But pocket forming was a big one. We recaptured a lot of different animations from our get engages to our blocking loops to our shed moves and our non-engaged moves. And I know that that's a lot of big words that probably don't make sense to a lot of people. But what it really means is you're going to see a more dynamic and organic pocket form around the quarterback. And in some cases, you are going to have to be more aware to step up to keep that angle for your tackles safe as the guys try to run the hoop. If you're not stepping up into the pocket when those animations are happening, you're more likely to get sacked. We did a lot of effort to respect the momentum. So a visual detractor in the past would be, you know, the defensive line would fire off the ball and the offensive line would block them. And then it just kind of stagnate. There wasn't really any carryover of momentum into those interactions. And so we took our momentum stuff that we did in tackling and brought it over for both pass and run blocking. So you're going to see all different angles of getting gauges and momentum respect. And on the defensive side of the ball in the run game, that means you'll feel less suction in run blocking. So if you're running, say, to the right, and a blocker is pursuing you to block you, when he matches that block, you're going to keep moving to the right. You're not going to just lose all your momentum face up and then have to shed. So that's a control story. But what I want to touch on here, the thing that really made me say that's awesome because I've always wanted to see that in Madden, on the screen game, it's a very small 
kind of under the hood change, but on halfback screens, our linemen now, when there's a pass rusher in position, they will hit them. They'll engage them for a second, and then they'll toss them to the quarterback before they pull out on the screen. So it gives you a little bit more time in the screen game. And we've never had that before. Usually we just ignore them, let them go, and you're at kind of your own risk as the quarterback. And it looks so real. It looks so good when all, you know all the stars align. So I just want to mention that for the players. Keep an eye out for that. Really excited about that little minute change to the game. Did you do anything else with screens? We did. We did some targeting logic for wide receiver screens to get our open field targeting a little bit better there. And then as the pullers are pulling out, we changed their speed and their facing angle so that they would be less likely to either under leverage or over leverage the running back and get them in better position to block up the field. And then lastly, Swami, for that man coverage, I call it a rat, but he's that man coverage guy on the running back who could sometimes get through that, the pulling lineman. Yeah. We now allow that guy to be blocked. So if we're pulling out and there's a guy playing rat on the running back, we'll block him on our way out and we'll just take a guy out of the screen. So just more intelligence, more awareness in the screen game. That's fantastic. I know that that's an area that's always tough because having all those blockers in space, I mean, you, you see it in real life all the time. These these guys, <laughs> you know, they're trying to make contact, but they're facing guys who are 200 pounds or 230 pounds and run four fives, and they're trying to target them in the middle of the field right. in well, space. What's really interesting about that is, you know, sometimes in our game the screen won't work out as you had hoped, and you'll see offensive linemen getting swerved by defenders and – you'll instantly think like, oh man, that must be a bug. He didn't block him. And we'll go, you know, we'll go in and debug it. It's like, no, that guy just can move faster than the other guy. And so he couldn't, he couldn't get there. But that that all goes back to balance. You know, if screen was a play you could rely on all game, we'd have an unbalanced game and probably not a fun one to play. So sometimes it's got to fail. But we definitely think it's looking a lot better this year than it has in the past. That's awesome. Any other fun nuggets, things that changed whether it be quarterback play whether it be any area that we haven't really touched on catching animations there's so many other improvements in gameplay it'd be hard for me to kind of list them all so i'm just going to pick out two i think one in in catching we have done a lot of work to minimize multiplayer catches and have more one-on-one interactions with independent animations and that is all about bringing more control to catching you're going to see more dynamic outcomes in catching more open field movement after a catch and better turning up the field, especially near the sideline is super improved. So we want to bring more control to catching. And then the second thing that players will really notice is we've tuned the trajectory of passing. So you're going to see higher trajectories and balls that fly further, especially on deep lobs Mm -hmm. than before, which opens up even more space in the passing game. And that all happened in combination. So as I talked about earlier with the pass rush, this pocket is forming around you while this trajectory is going to make it easier for you to throw deeper down the field with some pass lead. You're going to have less opportunities to have time for that throw because of the collapsing pocket. So all of this stuff kind of works together into a balanced game with, with more control. When you do that, the pass trajectory, is that done primarily to, do you have data from the real world on the trajectories you're chasing or is it, do you use, time of ball and air and you're trying to match it or is it like good gamer feel or it's a little what's, bit what's of, the secret sauce there yeah it's a little bit of all that so we have a tuning curve 
And the max and min of the tuning curve are going to be what we get from next-gen stats data. And so let's say the furthest throw recorded in the NFL last season, let's say, I don't know the actual number off the top of my head. But let's 68.3. Say Perfect. Let's say it was 68.3 yards. Did you make that up? <laughs> I can't I tell. He's, he's, he's got a straight face. I can't tell. Go ahead. It was Baker Mayfield's Hail Mary before half against the Baltimore Ravens. I believe it was 68.3. I, and we didn't talk about this before the podcast. That's just... Andre knowledge right there. I don't know what he's got on his screen, but that's the, uh, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just stunned. <laughs> no, ahead, great. That's, that's a great insert. Swami. So let's take <laughs> 68.3. We'd probably say, okay, we want the max possible throw in our game distance wise to be 70. And so that will reset the curve to a max distance of 70. And then we, we already have an existing physics model that basically takes the maximum length of the pass and the speed of the pass, which is a different tunable. So I can tune the speed separately, but the speed will just spit out a physics formula that says, okay, that means this is the trajectory. And then if I want to change it a little bit, I can either change the speed or I can change the distance. Those are two different curves. Yeah. And so as you tune those curves together, then the third piece you said, which is gamer feel, you got to play it a lot and make sure that it feels good. Because ultimately yeah. having fun is the most important thing. And so while we take this data in relation to pass speed and pass distance, we do have creative license to modify it a little bit within an acceptable yeah. range. Make sure that yeah. it's, you know what I mean? It's got to feel like the NFL feels more than anything to me, I think. Like, yeah, we use yeah. the data as a baseline, but it's just got to feel like I, as an NFL fan, it should feel like what I expect it to feel like at the end of the day. That's, yeah. that's like if you're defining authenticity, more than anything, it's got to feel right, even if it's not like inch perfect in the data. Right. Yeah, like when, when you have a window that you feel like is open and, you know, guy's trailing by a couple of yards down the field and he's able to make a play on the ball when, you, when you're trying to lead it over his head. You know, I, I definitely have experienced that plenty in, in 21, so I'm very happy to see that. And for clarification, it was 68.1. Sure, fair enough. Fair enough. That, that gave me flashbacks to the discussions we had a couple, like in 20 when we were doing the the abilities for the first time and we were talking about how far should bazooka go and we're like looking for film and trying to find well that's what i was just going to say rumor has it that last year in pregame patrick mahomes was videoed throwing a ball 74 yards in the air so okay potentially that's the furthest allowed distance i thought we saw a video when we were doing research where it was even further but who like it's just the internet who can tell so, like, if we actually had it documented in pregame, then that'd be even better. So, <laughs> all right, want to jump into the mailbag questions? I can start with the first one. So, what's going on, Clint, with the feedback from the community playtest? Yeah, so the community playtest is always fantastic for us because we get to hear from our players <laughs> about what they like, what they don't like. So, tune in in a couple of weeks. We're going through all the feedback, and we're going to make plans and share all those plans with our players once we get it all organized. It's happening as we're recording this. So we're planning to come back on with and bring Clint and just talk about it for a little bit. What did we see? What are we doing about it? I'm curious to hear based on that, you know, because that's how the year goes, right? Like we spend the year building the game and then we try to get it in the fans, the gamers as soon as we can to get that last bit of tuning feedback before full launch. So it's always a really interesting and busy time to let people play it for the first time is a lot of fun. Absolutely. Tom, do you want to handle the other? Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious. So, Clint, who was the toughest defensive lineman you ever had to play against? Like, was there somebody who was like, I just can't believe what this guy could do? Or 
is there somebody who uh, made it hard for you to have a career? Or, <laughs> well, uh, that that person was me, but uh, <laughs> there's there's two there's two guys who I had to block that really stuck out to me as physical specimens, and one might surprise you. That was Albert Ainsworth. I played with him in Washington, and even though he's kind of known as a guy who shut it down after he got his big contract, he was a guy I had to block every day in practice. And when he <laughs> when he really wanted to bring it, you couldn't stop that guy. He was a on a good day, he probably weighed 340, 320 to 340 based on where he was in, in his conditioning. He was fast, he could move, he had quick hands. So he had all of the pass rush moves available to him. And it seemed like no matter what you went to stop, he could do something else. But he could just physically overpower humans yeah. yeah he was really hard and then the second guy this was kind of my welcome to the nfl moment when i was a rookie with new england so obviously rookies start on the scout team so i started on the scout team and i had to block richard seymour <laughs> I, I i remember blocking him and I, and I thought in my head as i'm blocking him i'm like there's not too many people in this world who make me feel small and richard seymour made me feel small i mean this guy's six foot seven 320 pounds but he's stout like there's not a, a inch of fat on this guy and his arms are long and so you're trying to get into his chest and block him and you can't reach him his arms were like literally it felt like three feet longer than mine i couldn't touch this guy it was just like manhandling me and you're a big dude (laughs) yeah i mean i'm six six and i played at like 310 so you know just looking at the numbers oh you're not that that much smaller than richard seymour but in a blocking interaction with him he seemed like a very huge human being gotcha gotcha well cool that so, is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for the time today, Clint. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to having you back in a couple of weeks. You can talk about community playtest feedback. We'll probably share some on our side from the what we've seen from the franchise gamers as well. So looking forward to that discussion. So, any last words? Really just thanks for including me. I know that a lot of this is focused on franchise. I love franchise, so I'm really excited to be a part of this as well. Yeah, Yeah, it's great to have you on here. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Making Madden. Check back next week when we go over a pretty big announcement. We can't say anything more right now, but stay tuned.